students around the world are finishing their qualifications so they can get ahead in life and make their contribution. If you are studying, researching or thinking about it, you will need practical tips, techniques, coaching and support to help you get finished and be successful. I'm Peter Alkema, the Student Success Coach, and welcome to the podcast. Each episode, I interview successful students and leaders in education so that you will learn everything you need right here. You will learn about writing, completing your thesis and other projects, planning, discipline, how to get more done, supervisors, getting published, getting finished, how to have the right discipline, and many other aspects of student life. Whether you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or any other podcast platform, please leave a rating and a review. Or if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and leave a comment. Either way, please get in touch and let us know what you think of the show and what you want to hear more of. Please always check the show notes for links to courses, material, and plenty more so that you can use what you've learned in each episode take action and achieve your student success. Please also join the Student Success Coach community in our exclusive members-only Facebook group where I post regularly and you can interact with fellow students just like yourself. Remember, you can't do this alone, so reach out, get involved and take advantage. It's my commitment to your success. Now for this week's episode. Tanusha, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's really great to uh, have you on the show. And our listeners are just really interested in, you know, whatever tips and techniques can help them, you know, be successful. And success takes many forms, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be that final goal of getting your degree, uh, whether it's a PhD or master's or other type of qualification. It can also be, you know, at different stages. And I know that you've sort of managed to get through some early stages of of your PhD, and I'm really keen to talk about that in some more detail. But before we get there, um, maybe just give us all a bit of background to yourself and obviously, you know, how you've landed up, you know, taking on this incredible challenge of doing a PhD part-time while, you know, having a, a big um, career in the banking industry. So, Tanusha, hello and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much, Peter, and um, hello to your listeners as well. So, a little bit of background. I um, started, I guess, my professional career as an engineer um, and went into consulting, I think, very much probably maybe a year or two after doing professional engineering training. Our basic disciplines of sugar, oil, paper and pulp um, and after doing uh, a stint in each of those industries, I joined uh, the consulting arena and spent quite a bit of years in consulting, which I found hugely beneficial, um, both because I really enjoy learning. So it was really great from a learning journey perspective, but equally learning different industries. I um, then decided to be a mum, so I took some time off from from work actually or consulting a career that I really enjoyed and post re-emerging I guess into the corporate arena I went into banking um, and have been in banking for I guess the last eight years um, actually interestingly banking wasn't my favorite 
industry, uh, FMCG or CPG was. Um, but I've um, actually enjoyed being in the financial services industry for the last eight years. And that's when I actually started. Uh, I did an executive leadership program at London Business School. And at that point in time, I, I really didn't really want to do an MBA, um, but I did want to pursue my master's. And I think going on that learning journey of my executive leadership program, I actually realized that at that point in time, and it was um, 2005, we were talking, or, or 2015, sorry, we were talking a, largely around an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, and before it was a domain very much uh, concentrated into startups um, and, and business ownership. Um, and I began to see the value of infusing an entrepreneurial mindset or corporate entrepreneurship um, and the value that it could bring to financial services, but also to, to large organizations. And that is the reason why I actually did my master's in um, corporate entrepreneurship and new value creation. And I think that's where um, the bug really caught me because I realized the value in the material and the application in the world we're living in and um, the fast pace of change, uncertainty and ambiguity and how we could create um, a, a new strategic capability that will help us um, as large organization renew. Uh, ourselves and as a result I did my masters and I think um, probably two years after completing my masters uh, I thought maybe let me take the plunge of doing a PhD. Um, let I realized that there's still some research gaps in terms of how you know because we live in a world that is resource constrained and implementing corporate entrepreneurship actually requires significant amount of resources and there are a number of influencing factors. So how does a large corporate actually uh, prioritize implementation and resources in order to transform themselves? Um, and that's how I guess I decided to do my PhD. I have to admit um, the master's program, although exceptionally intense because I did a full-time master's while working, um, the PhD is a beast on its own. Um, I completed doing my passing panel and ethics approval, but I, I promise you it hasn't been the easiest of journeys. It's definitely not for the faint-hearted. Um, mm. So mm. yeah, that's where I see myself and, and, and the journey to actually uh, I guess my topic for my PhD and actually continuing it, it's actually my my need to learn more than anything else and, and really discovering new knowledge to be able to apply it in my corporate context in order to drive value. Um, so really that's that's the true essence of it. Mm, wonderful, Tanusha. That's such a fantastic and interesting background and just, you know, I think incredible to see how you've landed on into that PhD journey. And um, I guess, you know, my sort of question off the bat, you know, your need to learn and I mean, sounds very similar to most of the students that I coach and, you know, we really see the value of, you know, developing new knowledge and, and contributing, whether it's in the workplace or elsewhere. And, 
you know, many students working, you know, and studying at the same time so they can make that contribution almost in real time. But um, I mean, you know, you sort of mentioned that you've been through a number of processes now at the beginning of your PhD. And would it be fair to say maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, frustration early on in the stage that, you know, perhaps you haven't quite yet got to achieving these wonderful goals of answering these incredible questions and maybe it's been a lot of paperwork and administration and seems quite tedious at this stage. I mean, just your your early, honest, authentic thoughts. And I mean, we could have listeners also in the same boat at the moment. Um, and are you seeing the light at the end of the tunnel to the point where you can get into the, the meat of what you want to research? Um, it's definitely a longer process than, I guess, your master's. So I came in with, I guess, a... a a false version of what the PhD is. I felt um, even though my master's was highly intensive uh, for the 18 months that I had done it, I found it relatively easy. I thought, you know, both from going through panel to, to actually, you know, doing the research to producing the report and the insights fairly easy. And I, I guess maybe maybe my false sense of reality mm. was my first stumbling block when when doing my PhD. Um, I, you know, given that it was an easy master's program and I was doing it in a similar domain and, and not really changing it very much, and I was very clear on what the topic should be, um, even. As I got into the program, I guess I had a false sense. And, and that was the reality that I had to deal with because it's an excessively slower process. Um, so you're not really getting through the gates as quick as you had hoped to. Um, and when you're doing, when I did my master's, the momentum is naturally there. Um, and, and therefore, you're always in the moment of, thinking, ideating, and, and writing, whereas with your PhD, because to get through those gates, the thresholds are significantly higher, um, the expectations are different, um, it actually takes a significant amount of time. So if I look back and think, what did I want my first year milestones to have been, um, and looked at the reality of what my first mm. year milestones were, they were very, very different. And mm. I have to admit that going through panel um, was definitely, you know, um, a, a very stressful process because to, you know, you, you're so clear as to what you're wanting to research and what the value is. And then you go through the academic process of trying to uh, prove its value and its uniqueness, um, which is different to a master's, I guess. And to be crystal clear before you start of exactly how you're going to execute on your um, on your study. I see the value post going through the process, but I have to admit going through the process, there were there were a few meltdowns yeah. <laughs> along, I mean, along, <clears throat> along the way. Along the way. And I mean, I know you and I sort of interacted a little bit and, um, you know, it was sort of, I think, um, interesting for me to relive, you know, the same experience in my own PhD and the frustration that I also went through. And I think, you know, when you go through that 
process of getting ethics approval to you know do research on humans whether it's through interviews or, or surveys and questionnaires etc um you know especially at the you know the top level institutions you know those processes can be quite strict given the need for for privacy and, and sort of ethical research etc and um you know fantastic that you've got through it but maybe just walk us through you know obviously you said that the milestones were very different you know in terms of your expectations and i certainly had exactly the same experience and i guess it's just a step that you have to get through and it's kind of a ticket to the game and then after that you can get into the real interesting aspects of doing the actual research and getting all these incredible insights but maybe just people considering doing this type of research like both of us have done slightly more sort of you know human focused um and in the business world potentially maybe just walk us through then what that looks like in terms of the ethics process and the panel you know that you mentioned and i presume you had a proposal as well so maybe just break it down into the practical steps that you went through and then maybe the learnings out of those as to what you could possibly have done differently to maybe speed it up or manage your own expectations better. I think that would just be incredibly useful for people, you know, going into that process or at an early stage of their, their PhDs. Okay. Um, there's two very clear milestones, uh, one being um, your proposal panel and the second being your ethics approval. Um, from a PhD panel of proposal, you know, you obviously submit a proposal when through your application process and um, what you go through in your first year is a process of, for, for many students, understanding how to write, uh, which is, I, I think, um, a very critical component because the way you write in your PhD is, is somewhat different to that of your master's. I think they expect um, more critical writing. Uh, they expect uh, the weaving of different perspectives before you synthesize your own perspective uh, in relation to the topic. Um, it's to be very clear about the value of your research. Um, not so much in the business context, because generally when you when you have formulating your topic, you're always looking at it through a business lens in terms of the value that it could contribute to a business at large uh, or society at large. But actually, you know what you what you find is that when you're doing your PhD, the academic value that your topic um, and your research um, provides is far more uh, valued and, 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 it's, and it's the lens that they actually evaluate whether your research will have credibility um, at the end. And they, they take you through a very rigorous process from a panel perspective and they ask you, you know, generally when you're doing your masters, you know, they, they scrutinize your topic, they scrutinize your approach. Um, but when you go through your PhD, you know, your panel is significantly larger. It's quite diverse in terms of uh, the people that are represented, uh, are represented on that panel. Um, and they, the rigor in which they go through every section of your proposal is what really puts you under pressure, really stress tests the gaps in your thinking um, 
you know, for your first three chapters of your uh, of your thesis. And I think that's where, um, you know, both from a writing perspective, but equally understanding uh, the end goal, understanding your research gaps um, is where you are definitely pushed through your paces and where you find, um, as I said, in hindsight, when you look at it, you go, oh, that has been a fantastic process because you now have better confidence going into your research study. Uh, but when you're going through the process, um, and it can be quite disappointing at points when they when you see value and they don't, um, or when you need to augment your your theoretical model in order to um, incorporate, I guess, more unique, uh, a greater degree of uniqueness in your studies, um, uh, extending your research or broadening your research. I think for me it was. Um, broadening my research into a larger subset of, of banks within the financial services, which then created a, a, a quite a different problem for me, which is when you went through ethics, um, you know, and especially when you're testing within the banking industry and they know that access to employees within the banking industry, the Poppy Act, um, all prevents easy sampling of um, employees within the banking industry and therefore the ethics requirements are even at a at a slightly elevated level which then requires you to get um, approval from each of the institutes as a whole in order for you to even engage with the employees not that they are giving you access to the employees database because that's not allowed um, but the fact that you can even approach the employees and and mm. ask them to participate in the survey which is completely up to the employee at the end of the day but you still require those prior approvals um, from the organization um, and that created a, a, a different level uh, of complexity and mm. given that I'm doing a quantitative study which requires a significant uh, amount of participants, I think it's uh, 450 participants, um, it also becomes a very daunting task because the ethics board also requires you to uh, theoretically prove that you will be able to get 450 people to mm. at least uh, participate in your survey. Uh, or to be reached. So um, yep. different levels of complexity as you go through it. Mm. Fascinating, Tanusha. I mean, I think this is just so useful for people to get a sense of what they can expect when they go into something like this. I want to just uh, just rewind a little bit back to you. You talked about just your thinking in terms of um, you know the first three chapters, which I would presume, and and I think what you know I teach a lot in my courses and when I coach my students is often to think about that end goal in mind and really you know when you submit your final report or dissertation you know there's primarily those five main sections and I you know I just want to check with you and maybe give get your sort of thinking about it but you know those first three chapters you know your introduction literature survey and then methodology I would presume that's what you're talking about I guess a lot of that work is what you can do up front and through your proposal and which as you said, is stress tested by the panel. And then, you know, the rest of your, you know, research really fills out then the fourth and fifth section, which is then your, your results and findings and then your sort of application 
conclusion and contributions at the end. Obviously, still going back to those first three chapters to bring them up to date and you know just make them current in terms of where you've landed at the you know you know the end of your research, etc. But just maybe frame that you know from your perspective and those three chapters and. And then maybe what you could do is just then you know go into that topic that you mentioned about the writing, um, because I also see that as something that many students struggle. So so yeah, those those first three chapters, and then the writing aspect that you said has been also a learning curve for yourself. So in terms of the first three chapters, obviously your proposal um, has to be. Well, the expectation was that it that it was fairly comprehensive. Uh, if you look at most masters, I think you kind of end up with your your entire thesis being around 120 pages to about 150. I think my first three chapters are sitting currently at 150 chapters, uh, 150 pages. Um, I think um, what my aim was is to really make uh, my chapter one and chapter three very comprehensive, so that. Um, I only actually really go back to it, you know, once concluding on my research. Chapter two, although very comprehensive at this point in time, in terms of um, understanding the relationships, um, having a clear theoretical framework for my research, um, you know, clear theoretical and empirical models associated with it, um, I think, uh, you know, the research, I think, if I look at it now, in terms of that particular chapter, is probably sitting around 50 pages at, at this point in time. But looking and referencing um, the style of my my supervisor, um, the style he applied, because I have the same supervisor uh, for my master's and my PhD, um, applying the same type of rigor that he uh, that I went through in my master's. I'm presuming and looking at some of his past students, I'm looking at that my chapter two actually needs to be expanded a little bit more. So looking at potentially doubling that um, as, as a reference point. Um, and it's because the thinking around chapter two very much um, in the way that I've been schooled is a funnel. So a very a very, you know, having both the depth and the breadth in that funnel uh, is key from a literature review. And therefore, at the moment, as I'm doing my research study and getting people to participate um, in my survey, I'm actually expanding um, my literature review um, in order to get the depth that is required as well. Um, but luckily the framework is there you know exactly you've you've got your key relationships that prove it you just need to expand it and 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 do that final perspective so that's where i am on on that um from a chapter three perspective as well extremely comprehensive when i went to panel um you know looked at the methodology in excessive detail i'm using uh structural equation modeling but pls uh, the PLS version of it. Um, so very happy with chapter three and one, uh, fairly. Uh, chapter two requires always. I find that chapter two is where um, I always find it the most difficult to, to complete. Um, it is for just my style where most amount of work uh, is associated. 
Um, I find the methodology section, just because I, from my engineering and statistic background, I find chapter three, you know, and when you get to the, the actual analysis of your data um, and, um, uh, you know, uh, the insights that are derived from that analysis, I really find those sections really fun. Um, mm. and the most interesting part and actually really easy for me. Um, I, as much as I would get somebody to do my um, statistics for me, um, just to ensure, uh, you know, it's professional, the quality, I equally do it on my own as well, because I, um, you know, stats has been um, a strength of mine from, from my university days and, uh, equally, when I did my master's, I kind of did a parallel process of myself doing the statistics, but also getting a, a professional to do it as well, um, to compare, to learn and grow as well, um, in, in order for me to be able to utilize the tools required. And um, so I really find those sections really exciting. Um, um, chapter two is where, for me, generally is a lot of hard work that is required in, in that. Um, from my writing perspective, you know, um, I guess my advantage was that um, I, even during my master's and especially from my actual, uh, I, I, I would say day job, I, I do have to, the quality of writing that you do, uh, critical thinking is part and parcel of my job. Um, so I've transferred that into, um, uh, into my PhD world, I think, but, you know, you never uh, can underestimate uh, what is required when they say critical thinking, right? So it's, it's almost, um, it has to be apparent in every single page. It's not just about writing and writing well, it's about writing critically, which is where the, I would say the differential is and where the uplift is required, because it's something that you have to be conscious about when you're writing until it becomes habit. So, um, mm. and I think where I generally, I guess, because at points in time, you're so focused on getting through a milestone, whether it's getting through panel, uh, getting, and then you leaving writing and you're going, you're dealing with another milestone, which is ethics, and you're dealing with another milestone, which is, you know, actually, getting participants for your research. If you leave writing during those moments in time, what becomes difficult is when you go back to it because you almost need to train your brain again to say, okay, I need to write critically, um, you know, throughout my research, not just in points of it. Um, you know, I think when I picked it up after, you know, uh, leaving it for a few weeks, I kind of had a writer's block because you're trying to think, okay, what were you saying? And what, what were, was the essence of where you were uh, in your research and, you know, picking up because you're not starting from a, a blank sheet of paper. You're actually um, deepening what you've already written. And as much as I have a plan of how I'm going to deepen my chapter two, when you leave it, you have a problem getting back into it and, and, and you know, um, integrate, a, integrate your thinking back into your PhD. Mm. Um, so, yes, mm. not easy. Yep, yep, not easy, Tanusha. That, yeah, that is so insightful. And I mean, one of the things that 
is so important for people to think about um, at a postgraduate level is, and I think you touched on many of the of, of, of these types of points, is to write often, um, to write early, um, as you are doing, and I think as one has to be to be successful at this level, and then obviously to write well. And you know there's a skill um, to writing which only gets better with practice. And as you say, almost making it a, a habit and helpful as you've said that you know it's part of your job as well to write as well as you can and critically. And that, as you say, has sort of transferred well into your into your PhD, which is excellent. So this important topic of writing, which I try and emphasize so much um, with the students that I coach, I think is something it sounds like you're doing very well. So. I think you're on a good a good journey there. I, I wanted to pick up on something you mentioned, just um, you know, a lot of people struggle with the supervisor relationship. Now you mentioned that you had the same supervisor in your masters, and I would imagine that's I would suppose a good advantage having had a bit of a some history and you know some familiarity with your supervisor, whereas for many students going into PhD, then that's also something they have to acclimatize with and get used to as well as get through many of these other milestones at the early stage of their research. So your thoughts on just being a supervisor and the importance of getting that right in terms of being successful at, at your level of, of doing research? Um, a supervisor, I think, is, uh, is a very critical relationship um, in your journey. I think where I, and, and as I mentioned, the style of your supervisor also plays a big role in the end product because I noticed that in my masters, um, you know, different styles of supervisors expected different outputs from the, from the students in, in relation to specifically chapter two, actually. Um, some supervisors like a very, I would say, you know, um, very uh, a synthesized version of, of chapter two, ensuring that your critical relationships have been proved, but you don't necessarily need to do the funnel as extensively in terms of the depth and breadth um, or comprehensively. Whereas my supervisor had an expectation of it, you know, that when you do it, you have to be able to utilize this final approach in order for you to be able to pass, I guess, his threshold uh, in relation to, to chapter two. Uh, and for me, what was critical in the masters and, and my supervisor, his ways of working, it's a little bit different to others, right? And, and it's very, um, it's, it's actually at a very personal level. It's not that, you know, you have a one supervisor fits all. You have to be able to understand how they their ways of working and 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 vice versa, and be able to uh, um, understand how to operate within their ways of working. Um, so for me, my masters helped me understand the ways of working, um, and I tend to have a a different approach in my PhD, which is um, you know utilizing the same ways of working, but you know, and which is, you know, I reach out when I need something and when I, and I reach out excessively when I'm in trouble, um, but I'm not one to want to meet you every single week or every single month. Um, I'm not that person. And luckily he doesn't expect me to be that type of student either. Um, but 
you know, the converse is true as well when I'm, and especially when I was going through panel and I needed to engage with them extensively because there are moments where I was struggling. I was like, oh, you know, I can't, um, you know, I understand the comments, you know, coming through in terms of what I need to do, but I don't know how to do it. And, you know, he's coaching because he can't give you the answer. He's coaching and he's mentoring during that period from an emotional perspective, as well as from an academic perspective, was extremely important to me. And that is what he does really well. So he coaches you and mentors you emotionally um, and gives you the confidence that you can do something and you do have the answer. You just need to think about it a little bit more and you mm -hmm. need to widen your viewpoint. Um, and he's there when you need him. And sometimes, as I said, when when you in a uh, when you stuck, you 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 need him, I guess, a lot during that period of time. And there are moments when I don't need him at all for months because I'm fine. <laughs> and mm. you know, he's completely okay with that type of relationship. And we have seen to find uh, a ways of working that works for us. And I guess I'm lucky because. I have, and I know that a lot of people struggle with their supervisors. And I think for me, my master's helped me, you know, having the same supervisor, understanding how he works and him understanding me, um, it really helped. Um, so that's the part. And, and I think for me, where I saw not so much in my master's, but where I find, you know, the additional value, as I said, is the is the emotional coaching and self-confidence uh, that he helps you with because, you know, whereas your master's, as I said, I found it fairly easy. Um, you know, there are, there are points in your PhD where you need somebody to tell you, you know, you're almost there or you got it. Mm. Just take mm. a step back. Think about That's... it because there were, there was a point where, as I said, I, I didn't know how to do it. I was like, yeah, I get what you want, but I don't know how to do it. Mm. Tanusha, fantastic. Any tips, I mean, for people listening in that, that perhaps are going into a relationship with a supervisor uh, or are struggling with one, you know, what would you suggest are some practical techniques and ways that they can take action, you know, as soon as possible to make improvements, you know, to the degree that they can influence the relationship? Obviously, as you say, it is two-sided, but you know, presuming both want to make it work. From a student perspective, what tips or ideas would you have for people to do things better as a student? I think the one thing is, and obviously I have, you know, I come from a point of being, I think, uh, a blessed in the sense that I had my supervisor from my, from my master's. But I think if you've got your supervisor for the very first time, I think, value, you know, and especially because the degree of the way they interact with you is slightly different in your PhD versus your master's. The first thing that I would do is kind of uh, research previous students that have worked really well with that type of supervisor, understand what the quality and the, the expectations of the report is at the end of the day, and understand from that previous student the ways of working. So how does the supervisor work? Uh, how does he interact? What is his expectations on you? Um, I think 
if you understand that from an onset perspective, you're in a better position. Um, and then obviously I would say, you know, if it's your first, you know, the first time you're engaging to establish if, if that doesn't work for you to a certain degree, uh, either reconfirming the ways of working or, you know, suggesting some tweaks that could work better for you. Like for instance, if you um, are working with my supervisor, but you require, um, I would say significantly more interaction than I require um, because mine's is on a needs basis um, and you'd rather have catch-ups on a regular basis, you probably need to indicate that upfront and say, you know, uh, I would prefer engaging or catching up once a month or, or, or twice a month. And even if it's not that I have anything more material to show you or evidence, it's just I'd like to just have a, a general conversation around the, the research domain or to discuss an article with you. But I think you need to establish that immediately with your supervisor. I think if you don't, um, this is where, and generally this is advice with any, I guess from a corporate arena perspective, every leader has a different style and understanding what that style is and being able to work with that style is crucial to the success of that relationship. And my advice is, since you won't know what the style of that supervisor is immediately, being able to get uh, a previous student to provide those insights, to look at a few examples of previous PhD students that have been successful with that supervisor, um, gives you direction and guidance in terms of what is his or hers particular expectations because they do have nuances. Mm, mm. The, uh, that is such good advice, Tanusha. I mean, I, I hadn't really thought through that type of, of, of research to get off on the right footing with your supervisor. One of the things I did in my PhD, and I actually had three supervisors, so it was quite tricky because it was a fairly interdisciplinary study. Um, so I just, in terms of researching my supervisors, looked at their own PhD theses um, and what they originally submitted and was the basis for their own qualifications. And there were some vast differences across the three of them, but it gave me some quite unique insights, certainly from a writing perspective. I mean, I think your ways of working aspects, you know, will come through, you know, you know the other students that they supervise, but from a writing perspective and a discipline or the rigor, as you say, of the academic process, um, that was incredibly useful. And I sort of had their three dissertations as almost quick links on you know, my computer. So I could very quickly just go in and have a look at any sort of specific section or approach that they took. And that just helped me, I think, just be in a better position when I then spoke to them about a problem I was having or guidance that I needed or when they gave me comments on something. I could understand where it was 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 coming from, I suppose. So, you know, would you say that's maybe also something as well for students to consider? Absolutely. I think trying to get into the headspace of your supervisor and, uh, you know, I, I guess I looked at it from understanding the headspace and the expectations through previous students. But what I didn't consider was actually looking at um, their own, you know, their own uh, PhD study. But it, that would be actually perfect because I guess it stems from there. 
because their advice going forward actually stems from the 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 way that they think um and the and the set of expectations uh, around it so yeah Mm, that's mm. that's actually a good tip and i'm going to use it <laughs> there we go and to our listeners so any listeners that you know i've got supervisors studying at a postgraduate you know level there's two practical things that you can do to improve your supervisor relationship one from tanusha was just maybe go and have a look at previous students and just get in a, a sense of the ways of working and i suppose you know tanusha you were a previous student of that supervisor given that it was the same one between your masters and your phd and then you know, from my side, just go and read up on your supervisor's own PhD final reports or dissertations or maybe articles or other writing uh, that they've done. So there's some actions that, uh, you know, you as listeners can take um, as a result of this interview, which I think is fantastic and part of the value that we want to uh, offer to you uh, through the Student Success Coach. Tanusha, just wrapping up then, I'll ask a couple of questions. I mean, just looking forward now, um, obviously you've calibrated your expectations, I think, in terms of the realities of doing a PhD and what that's actually gonna take. Uh, would you say your priorities and approach has changed somewhat going into now, if I could call it perhaps the middle stages of your, of your PhD? And what does that look like for you in the next, I suppose, year or more of getting you know, these uh, 450 people uh, to complete your survey and then to do all the statistical structural equation uh, analysis, et cetera. What, what's kind of your mindset now going into that stage of your, of your PhD? I think I always have unrealistic expectations. So let me be really honest, Peter. I don't think I've ever learned from that one. Um, so even with my um, 450, I have this unrealistic view that it's going to be over a short period of time that I'm going to be able to get uh, people to fill out my survey. And then I get disappointed through the process, I guess, because I have this view that, you know, I'd like to complete my um, my research study by a certain period of time. And then I guess it's when you aim, it's, it's the um, the viewpoint if you aim for the stars and you land on the clouds um, sort of scenario, you know, you're a little bit better and you're pushing yourself, but I guess it comes with a little bit of disappointment throughout it. Um, I think my main focus over going through the December break and into Jan is to definitely try to push as many um, of my uh, but to push my participant rate higher, uh, as I said, it's it's fairly low at this point in time. Um, so that is a big, I think, a big focus for me for the for the end of this year, moving into quarter one. But simultaneously, it's about completing chapter two for me. So by doing the dual approach, it feels like I'm making progress on my overall thesis. Um, as much as I feel like I'm waiting for people to participate in my research, so I'm not wasting too much time. Um, so that would be my true aim. Um, as I said, I'm really looking forward to that point where I can move from um, out of my research study into the actual analysis, because I think that would definitely consume me. And but I would, it would be great because I would throw myself into the actual analysis and I feel like that period of time will be an accelerated period of time for me because when you enjoy something it really comes easier 
Um, and I, I'm really looking forward to understanding what the results are more than anything else. Um, so, um, but I guess the hard yards for me is getting people to participate. So if there are any, um, any of your listeners that are part of, uh, you know, the top five banks in South Africa that would like to generously participate in my study takes about circa 20 minutes. Um, you know, please reach out and, you know, help me, uh, you know, give the ultimate gift of giving to a PhD student, which is to participate in these <laughs> studies. Um, you know, uh, they would help me a lot. Um, and, you know, so that's really, I'm kind of just focused on the next quarter. Um, and for me, that's, as I said, be it in my master's or be it here, that's where my heavy lifting lies. Um, and then the rest becomes, I guess, exciting moments. And then I guess at the end becomes frustrating moments when you go through reviews with your supervisor and you have to do tweaks and changes. And, but I guess that's all part of this PhD journey. And um, I guess if it was easy, everybody would do it. And I realized that being in the process uh, rather than actually before I entered the program. Mm. Yeah, Tanusha, I mean, you talk about the journey and the process, and I mean, I think it's, uh, it is a wonderful journey, and there are, you know, those enjoyable and fulfilling moments, but you almost have to pay a bit of a price to get them and to get there, just like climbing any mountain or completing any journey. I think, you know, the view from the top is going to be always better when, you know, you've exerted and sacrificed a bit to get up there. And on the topic of participants for your survey, absolutely. I mean, I've just, I've sent you one right now, so, um, I think reach out and uh, he will be very helpful uh, and may have a few others that uh, you could pass on. And, and maybe just to pause on that, I mean, one important thing for the, the sort of more quantitative studies on humans is, is the snowball effect where, you know, getting contacts for completing your surveys are people that themselves also have contacts who are also willing and likely and suitable uh, participants. So, you know, I found that very useful in my own research where I only had to do 25, you know, one-on-one -on -one interviews given it was a qualitative study, but, um, you know, chatting to people opened up, you know, other people that then, you know, were willing and able to do interviews with me. So I'm sure that's something that you're finding quite useful. And for people listening in, you know, that snowball effect um, can also be quite powerful to get a sufficient sample size uh for for your study so tanusha thank you and i mean any last thoughts um on the you know academic journey and career that you've had and the contribution that it's made maybe to yourself your family personally professionally you know you said earlier that the bug bit you fairly early on and it sounds very similar to myself um enjoying that critical thinking enjoying you know asking tough questions and going through a rigorous process to get very valuable answers and make a contribution to society. You know, how much has it meant to you over the years to pursue, you know, these academic studies and take on this extra work and the extra sacrifice and time that it has required? Has it been worth it to you along the way? And what are your thoughts on that for our listeners? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, when you cross that mountain or you climb that mountain, uh, it's definitely an exceptionally rewarding process, but I think for me, it's not just the end result in terms of the research and the contribution you can make to business, which is why I think you actually go out and, and actually want to pursue this journey 
it's actually the learning that you enjoy through the experience. So if you enjoy learning and you enjoy the personal growth that you get through the process, um, I think, you know, any of these studies, be it a, a master's or a PhD, should be a must. Um, you know, as much as you um, learn through um, the experience of, of reading, you know, be it in, in, in my field, a Harvard Business Review or, or many other uh, publications, I think um, I've learned that even in my own team, I really want somebody that you know, from a research perspective that has done their master's or their PhD, because you know that they approach the domain of research and R&D in a, in a highly comprehensive manner. Um, and you're really getting the, the, the best value. So firstly, it's helped me identify people that I want on my team and the type of skills that I want on my team. Uh, it's helped me personally grow, um, emotionally grow, um, and it's helped me from a learning perspective because I believe that, um, you know, when you look at and analyze the full discipline, uh, you are able to understand answers, uh, the pressure points within the domain, uh, the shortcomings within, um, you know, that domain, um, as well as, I guess, the end goal, which is your utilizing what you've learned and applying it either in your personal or your professional life um, is a very key component of that journey um, and and I guess your own life cycle uh, with respect to learning. So yeah, I would recommend it, but it's definitely at points in time, I guess you got me on a good day, Peter, and I'm saying yes, I recommend it. <laughs> well, I'm so glad we timed the interview perfectly. So Tanusha, yeah, thank you. And just great to get um, you in that positive frame of mind about a PhD because, you know, that's what we want for our listeners to be, you know, ultimately in um, a um, positive mindset that uh, even though there are the ups and downs sort of sustains them and they get some encouragement from other people that have been, you know, through the journey and are authentic to acknowledge that it is difficult. And that's what I really appreciate from, you know, our time together in this chat today. Um, and that uh, even though those bad days will come in the mindset, you know, does dip down a little bit. As you said, there's the supervisor, there's coaching, um, there's other students and colleagues, et cetera, that you can always reach out to. And if you have that firm vision and your sort of eye on the prize or the end goal, and you're passionate about it, and you've chosen a topic that will sort of pull you through uh, the long haul, then you should ultimately uh, achieve your own definition of student success. So Tanusha, thank you so much, and I wish you well. And from all our listeners, I hope you get some people signing up uh, as a result of today's chat. And as I say, I've sent you one, and I'll keep popping through a few more to help you out and uh, just do everything that we can to contribute. So thank you, and Tanusha, good luck with everything. Thank you so much, Peter, and um, a good day to all your listeners, and, and I hope that they found some value in my conversation or rambling for the, uh, during this morning. No, thank you very much, Tanisha. It's been absolutely brilliant. So good luck with the PhD and all the best. Chat soon.